The pod class is in session. I'm your host, Jamie Anderson. Welcome to our series, Conversations on School Health, which takes a holistic look at maximizing the health and well-being of students and teachers. This series is a collaboration between the Workland School of Education at the University of Calgary and Everactive Schools. And each episode, we're speaking with a different leader in their field about topics that impact student and teacher well-being. So today we're joined by Jason Coopery, who is the Director of Learning with Palliser School Division, and we're going to talk all about helping students find and navigate their passions in the school space. So for those of you who are new to the podcast, uh, we always start our conversation with a friendly reminder to tend to your well-being while you listen. So here is that friendly nudge to choose your own adventure and let us keep you company along the way. Uh, But Jason, welcome to the podcast. Uh, hoping you can kick things off for us by sharing some of your favorite ways to tend to your well-being. Thanks, Jamie. For me, I love to go outside. That's where I'm happiest. I'm happiest in the mountains. I'm happiest on skis in the mountains or walking and hiking through mountains. Uh, That seems to be a real place that I can sort of uh, refresh, regroup. I love spending time with my family. I love spending time with friends. So those are the things that really help my wellness. I also love to golf, but that doesn't help my wellness so much because it's uh, a little more perplexing and frustrating. But uh, yeah, um, I like to be (laughs) active outside and uh, not overly frustrated every time I swing a club. (laughs) I can relate to that. That's why I've never really picked up golf as I don't quite have the patience for that. But uh, (laughs) there's there's boundless patience, you know, on on skis and spending time outside. So that's good. too. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Excellent. Well, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, Your current role is Director of Learning with Palliser School Division. That's in Southeast Alberta. Can you tell us a little bit more about your journey as an educator up until this role and and what your role entails for your school jurisdiction? Yeah, uh, great question. And and it it was a, a big leap to director, but I'll get to that. So I started, of course, as a classroom teacher. My entire career has been spent in grades 7 through 12. And I progressed through the, the usual route. Um, I had some leadership ability, so I became a vice principal, and then I became a principal eventually. And then it led me to this role as a director. And I, I will say that that relational piece is so extremely important. And so as I went along, always keeping in mind that relationship with students, and it, it always got a step further. So it was vice principal. I was out of the classroom a bit more. When I was principal, I wasn't in the classroom much at all. And then this role uh, director, it was a big, big step in terms of that almost a, a sense of loss or mourning when I left schools and that direct contact with students. And so as director now, the, the stuff that I am most passionate about is creating programs. And it took a long time to get to that point where I was uh, missing that relational piece, but creating programs for students to succeed at a divisional level to figure out what their passions are, to help them navigate. Uh, we always get, you know, those middle school years are terrible in terms of the social aspects of things and the the, the jungle of emotions and, and those kinds of things. And then high school becomes a different animal altogether in the sense that students are really, really trying to find their way. Uh, and if they haven't found success in a traditional classroom setting, uh, it can be a very, very difficult time and a feeling of confusion and um, anxiety for students that haven't found their niche, if you will. So as a director, I'm trying to create some programming that will allow students to find that niche and give them more options to explore. Yeah, there's so many transitions in, you know, that K to 12 schooling that can be so tough. And uh, my, my career has also been largely spent in the junior high and high school 
area. And so I, I echo those thoughts in terms of times of turmoil, change, growth. Uh, there's so much that happens in that uh, six year span. But it's so great to hear, you know, like those pieces that drive you. Finding passions, wayfinding, I think that is really impactful, like thinking about um, not just wayfinding through schooling, but but beyond schooling as well. That's a great point, Jamie. And I just wanted to build on that a bit. It, like, I think it's really important to understand as you enter into any, well, a K-12 setting, but in particular, those later grades, uh, that Wayfinder word was beautiful, but I was going to suggest a navigator. So you are a teacher, of course. You're imparting knowledge and you're helping students find their way, but th- 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 you really are essentially a navigator and someone that they can trust and someone that can speak into their lives. And if there's nothing else that people take away from this podcast, it's take the time to build that relationship. So you, so you know them, so you can speak into their lives and you can help them because biology, social studies, they're all very important things. There's no question, but we're trying to help kids find their way and we can't lose sight of that as teachers. That's so true. So impactful. And I think that that is like really the crux of kind of our conversation today is thinking through the traditional kind of schooling pathways and how they don't always support success for all of our students. Um, You know, like for a very small number of students, there is that pathway that works, but we want to make sure we're providing those other pathways for those students and specifically like thinking through that lens of finding passion and purpose. So I'm curious to hear from you. You use that word passion and, and finding their passions, their interests and their way. So why do you think it's important that schools and teachers help students find and navigate their passions, not just, you know, like through the grades and to high school graduation, but like through that specific lens of personal kind of passion and purpose. I think it's extremely important. And I just want to go back to, I mean, I want to give credit where it's due in terms of this quote. It's from Frederick Buchner, who was a, a philosopher, writer, um, theologian. But uh, his, his quote is, your vocation in life is where your greatest joy meets the world's greatest need. And so we've tried to think about how those things intersect. And it is a struggle. Again, I, I did a lot of guidance counseling over my years in, in high school. And it is hard for students to articulate their joy. Um, so it's not just like you can ask a question, hey, what do you really love? And they're going to say, well, I love this and I love that and I love that. They really don't know. And we're helping them to discover that. So that's why I think like teachers are, are extremely vital. And again, the knowledge you impart and the way you teach is really important, of course. But it's that relationship piece that's so, so important. And I think that as teachers, as people who are going through this program now or who have been through it and have taught for many years, we are driven. We are sort of kind of type A-ish people. And most of us went through, obviously, university to get to to become a teacher, to get that uh, teaching certificate. So um, what we found was that in our school division in particular, or I guess with teachers in particular, many, many, many of them have not experienced college. You understand the concept of college or, or other certificated programs, but it's just understanding what's out there because the mindset of a lot of students in Alberta, in Canada, in the world is life is linear. I'm going to get into this teaching program or this nursing program or this engineering program, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to succeed at that. I'm going to get an engineering job and I'm going to retire when I'm whatever, 65, whatever. Right. Um, and as we all know, everybody listening to this, uh, yourself, Jamie, myself, life is not linear. Life takes all kinds of twists and turns. And so I think that the, the way the current industrial system of education is set up, 
is these students have three years to get what they need and get out. And for those who are trying to get into the, whatever, the big four or five, I say, you know, teaching, um, nursing, uh, uh, engineering, doctor, those kinds of things, right? The pressure is so immense now to achieve the grades you need to achieve, uh, to volunteer, to do all kinds of other things. Like the pressure on students is crazy. The last I heard, I think the, the average at Mount Royal for nursing was something like 95%. Um, that's an insane goal to reach. And a lot of students, which we've heard from, have knocked themselves out to get that. And then they become disillusioned when they get into those programs. And they're like, I, I don't actually want to be a nurse. <laughs> that, was a, that was a tough lesson to learn. And so I think that teachers have the opportunity to help students understand that life is not linear. There are many ways to get to an end point and there are, there's lots of life to live and they should be enjoying their post-secondary studies as opposed to, you know, just trying to get into something because they don't know what else to do. The system's job is to expand their world so they understand there are many options out there and there are many paths to choose from. And I should say that I practice what I preach. Um, my daughter just graduated from SAIT, uh, and she took a baking and pastry arts uh, course. And she was a driven student. She was in high 80s, low 90s. She could have gone anywhere to university. But I just asked her to take some time. And what do you love? And she loved to bake. So she went and did baking and pastry arts. And so I just had an opportunity to speak with her about that. And, you know, she may never bake another thing in her life. But the amount of lessons she learned through those two years in terms of dealing with people, in terms of working in groups, in terms of the confidence, the skills, the, I mean, it was the best money we could have spent as a family for the last two years for her. And it really didn't have that much to do with baking and pastry art. She's, she's good at it. And it's going to be a great skill to have for the rest of her life. And she may end up doing something like that, owning a business or something down in the future. But it was just more about the experience and maturity. And she's still only 19 and she can, she's still going to go to university, but now she can take some time and she has some confidence. She's graduated, she's had success. And so I think it's an amazing thing for everybody to be able to just take a breath, slow down and explore some options out there to see where life will take you. That is really eye-opening, I think, as you speak about like opening more pathways rather than narrowing. I think my my experience through K to twelve was really narrowing in on that focus, that like kind of singular focus of post-secondary and and then beyond to your point, like life is not linear. And you know, for some people it may appear that way, but but it tends to be more complex than that. But taking time and leading with passion, I think, is so important to sustain well-being across the lifespan because, uh, you know, we're often in a rush uh, in those final three years of high school to get students ready for, uh, quote unquote, the real world. But sometimes we unintentionally, like, mislead them as to what the real world possibilities are for them because there are so many options. So, um, you know, I really appreciate you sharing that. I think that's so, so, so important. Like, I think when we talk about well-being, we often use a model that highlights eight or nine different kind of interdependent dimensions. So things like emotional, spiritual, financial, environmental, cultural, so on. And then we also talk about occupational well-being. So occupational well-being can sometimes feel really tricky to support for our students because we really often narrow it to like employment. So, you know, you have an occupation, you have that work-life balance. But for our students, I think it's more than just a job and, and work-life balance. It also is about feeling that sense of purpose and, you know, that interest. Like, what do you like doing with your time? Because, you know, it, 
your well-being, you can have quote-unquote work-life balance and a nine-to-five job that you don't take home. But if you don't love what you're doing, if you're not connected to what you're doing, if you don't feel that sense of purpose and you don't enjoy, you know, those nine to five hours, that also isn't really great for your well-being. So rather than, you know, coaching students through the system to be like, you know, you're going to have to get a job, you're going to have to pay bills, and like, you, you're just going to have to do this, that, and the other, we can start at that space of like, what would you like to do with your time? And what could that look like? Like you said, that quote, like, as, as feeling like a need in the world. Um, because we are in in such an interesting space where we are shifting away from, you know, a singular job or singular career across the lifespan. And there are so many cool things that you can do to find joy and contribute economically and also like be able to sustain your life and basic needs. So all of that to say, like, I think you're you're really speaking to the crux of occupational well-being. And I'm curious if you could maybe speak to the connection between passion and joy and occupational well-being and and what that looks like for students in the school space and beyond the school space. Yeah, thanks for sure. So I should qualify this, as I mentioned earlier, you know, wellness is, you know, you've, you've nailed the holistic piece, right? In those terms of those seven or eight dimensions of wellness. But wellness is certainly a passion of mine. And we struggle, and it's been worse since the pandemic in terms of student mental health. And there is definitely a call for that triage or downstream approach where we need more counselors. And we've certainly, we have addressed that and more making connections workers and more systems navigators. There's, there's lots of things we can do, but that, that isn't all there is to it. It's, it, it's certainly, we want to move our approach more upstream, if you will, uh, in terms of students are telling us that just as you totally uh, identified, Jamie, the world is changing and it's super stressful because I don't know where I'm going next. So we are trying to look at wellness as holistically as possible. And um, so that, that's why, and thank you for singling out occupational wellness. Occupational wellness is huge in terms of that upstream approach, because again, back to that, helping them find their passions uh, and giving them hope and a purpose and direction, I think is, is massive because there's so many kids out there that just don't know what's out there or they're scared about what's out there, or they don't feel they're good at anything, which is a real cause for depression and anxiety and those types of things. And if you look at the definition, and I'm going to draw financial wellness into this a little bit too, because of course the two of them are are very uh, intimately correlated, but you know, it says that the dimension of wellness encourages personal satisfaction and enrichment in one's life through work. So that idea that work doesn't need to be work. It doesn't need to be, you know, heading to the salt mines. Work can be something that you enjoy. And it's something that brings purpose and joy in it. And again, I know we're speaking to the audience here is, is in-service teachers, and I hope you find that joy in working with students of all ages. Uh, and there's certainly purpose. This is one of the most important jobs out there uh, in terms of guiding students. So hopefully that's the case for people listening. And then, of course, the financial piece, right, which is managing financial expenses and the impacts of money on health and those kinds of things, right? Obviously, those two are connected. So you can do something you love and enjoy, and you can make a living at it, and you can, you know, um, have a life, I'll say. I don't know. I don't want to prescribe what a life would look like for anybody, but you can have a decent life uh, and enjoy what you do. When you look at the, and I know we're going to get into this transition piece later, Jamie, but when you look at the studies out there, 
like 75 to 80% of Canadian university and American college students are experiencing high levels of stress and debt. And I realize that that's sort of the rite of passage, right? That, you know, eating craft dinner or, you know, having mom and dad send a care package, those things are all things that are part of the experience. Um, but those things can have a major impact throughout life and can have a significant, if you have a whole bunch of student loan debt, that creates a crushing financial pressure for you, potentially for the rest of your life, but at least for the next 20 or 30 to pay it off. And I just saw a study today as well that said that 75% of Canadian graduates under the age of 40 regret taking on the debt they did to get their degree. So it's one of those things where if we can give them as much knowledge as possible before they go, and even again, stretch it out a little bit, say, listen, there's no pressure to go next year. You can save some money, you can, you know, travel, you can do some things, or have a fourth year of high school, those types of things, like just to relieve some pressure and give some more time for them to save money, for them to to explore more. I think it's extremely important that we are intentional with helping students know what's out there. And so there's some other programs we'll get into later, but occupational and financial wellness is huge. It's it, th- Those are two of the biggest stressors in life when you think about it, right? And the two probably, or at least one of them is one of the biggest relationship enders as well. So if we can teach kids how to manage their finances and how to, to find something they're, they're passionate about and they enjoy doing, I think we're setting them up and getting them ahead of the game in terms of having more confidence when they go to post-secondary and having more knowledge about the potential world that's out there. Absolutely. That's such an important point and, and connection. I think sometimes we st- we steer away from financial and occupational well-being in our conversations about well-being, but really those are sometimes the make or break aspects of well-being. Or like if we're experiencing financial hardship or barriers to, to access due to finances, um, that is something that affects all aspects of our well-being. And I, and I think too, like thinking through the high school... Um, lens, oftentimes we're really focused on finding the stream. So like streaming has a long history in education. um, And I think we're still in that space where um, there's a particular pathway for particular students who experience a specific type of success in school. And that pathway is university. And then for other students, like we maybe don't create enough space to explore the opportunities that are available. And so there are some students who are not successful in the traditional schooling environment, are not given opportunities to explore pathways. And that also can, you know, play a role in in perpetuating economic inequities as well. Yeah, I will say that you're you're bang on with the system sort of it's that sort of you're 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 churning people out for university. And I don't have the exact statistic, but I believe it's somewhere between 14 to 20% of students actually go from Alberta high school into university. And so it's it's the idea that this whole system is set up for the 15% of kids that'll actually go to university. Uh, there's a whole other 85 that don't and they could go to college, they could certainly go to post secondary, but to your point, that whole setting them up for university and that pressure and that that stress to get there is really for, you know, a very small part of the population. Absolutely. And so as we're thinking about, so like the pre-service and in-service teachers who are listening, as we're thinking through this lens of passion and prioritizing occupational well-being as more than just having or not having employment, what could it look like for educators to create opportunities to explore passions you know, across the different divisions. I know we're really keying in here on Div 4 and even down into Division 3, Grade 7 to 9, but 
like K to six probably has a space where we can really take the time to create opportunities to delve into passion a little bit more. And we often see that and, you know, like there's more play, more music and art in divisions one and two and, and you know, more of a f- focus on career and technology foundations and studies in divisions three and four. Uh, but what are your thoughts across the K to 12 school spectrum for opportunities to tap into student passions? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. So I had the good fortune of chairing a committee through CAS, through the College of Alberta School Superintendents, uh, around trades, apprenticeship, and vocational education. Uh, And so we had industry leaders and educational leaders from across the province, and we put our heads together. And essentially, I mean, there's there's a framework that's involved with all of this, but but really what it boils down to is three E's, and it's explore, engage, and experience. And, and we're trying in Palliser, we're trying to frame our career exploration programs and dual credit programs and off-campus programs around those three tenets. And I really think that K to three, K to six, well, I mean, K to 12, really, that opportunity to, to explore by exploration, meaning, you know, going to the local fire hall or having a dentist come in or a welder or a plumber speak to kids to impart their experience, to talk to them about it, to get them to play with some tools, to get them to build some things. I mean, when you think about it and you go into a kindergarten classroom or, well, mostly did one, students are naturally curious. They're wanting to build, they're wanting to play, they're willing to collaborate for the most part. It's what we want them to be in grade 12. And as adults, the school system tends to beat that out of them a little bit. And so Harnessing that natural curiosity, allowing them to explore and having them understand that the world's a big place and it's okay to want to be a firefighter one day and a police officer the next day or a welder the next day or whatever. And just to, to lean into that curiosity, if we can teach that skill, right? We, as 21st century learners, we want to look at those critical thinking skills and that the idea of collaboration. And um, if we can teach them to think critically about their curiosities and about what's next or how can I explore, I love bugs, I love dinosaurs, I love the things that kids love when they're young. Uh, If we can help them lean into that and encourage that as, you know, like if you have a a dinosaur unit or you have a, a unit around bugs, bring in a paleontologist or bring in an etymologist. Is that right? I don't, I'm really losing my science here. You can tell I'm, <laughs> I, I definitely haven't been in. Anyways, bring in a bug person to talk to them. Again, just to give that little curiosity because you never know when it's going to stick, right? For some kids, it may have stuck in grade two. For some kids, it won't stick until they get to age 25. But to present those options to them, I think is extremely important. And then to encourage them to be curious because, you know, they're going to be shy about it in a lot of ways because, again, the confidence isn't there. So, again, teachers as guides, as navigators to instill that confidence and to and to uh, recognize that curiosity and to be able to provide them a bit more information or a bit of a nudge. Because, again, as teachers, it could take one phrase. It could take one book. It could take one article you share with them and you, you could have them hooked because you cared and you cared about something they cared about. Uh, and so that might just be enough to tip that curiosity bucket over uh, and have them explore it a little further. And so that I think that applies for all four divisions. And of course, like you already mentioned, things like the music programs, art programs, play programs, um, sports programs, CTS, those are all wonderful things. And those are all things that help kids explore their passions. But I think the missing link in a lot of it is the intention with which we help students discover their passions. That's such a good point. The intentionality, yeah, for teachers, educators to create those opportunities and 
Uh, I know, you know, like conversations in, in the education space have really shifted towards student, student-led learning. And um, that is a really fantastic opportunity to let students lead with their passions or, or chime in about what they're curious about and have that opportunity as teachers to respond and, and kind of open the windows to the world in regards to those interests. So we chatted a little bit earlier about transitions from high school to the workforce or to post-secondary, and they're huge moments in students' lives. Uh, as you said, you know, going to attend a graduation, um, you know, like they're full of complex emotions too. They're really exciting and there are significant milestones, um, but they also come with concern, worry, and, you know, looking forward to what the possibilities are next. So... I'm wondering if you can speak to some of the ways that your school jurisdiction has considered student passions and occupational well-being as students are are getting ready to move beyond their K to 12 education. Yeah, well, thanks. And and, and at the beginning of the podcast, Jamie, you mentioned Palliser was uh, southeastern Alberta, which is definitely true. But we also have um, 11 schools in Calgary. So it's this weird mix of urban and rural. And so the reason I say that is because I think that what we've seen here in Calgary has been ample opportunity to physically be at the campus of SATE or Bow Valley College or Ambrose or University of Calgary or those types of things when we do dual credit courses and those kinds of things. And that opportunity does not exist uh, necessarily for a student in Iron Springs or in Vulcan. And so it really has shaped the way we've formulated these programs. And I'll get into that in a minute, but it's around equity. We want to make it as equitable as possible so that students in the far reaches of the province can experience the same opportunities or at least a facsimile of the same opportunity to be able to explore and engage and experience post-secondary education while they're in high school. The main tenet of that, of course, is dual credit. And so dual credit being that they get a post-secondary transcript, they can take post-secondary courses while they're in high school, and it allows them to dabble. The dual credit framework does not allow for tuition to be charged, so these students can explore for free. The tuition is paid for by the school division, and Palliser has access to over 120 courses, uh, everything from, you know, botany to animal science to trades to medical terminology. We have tons of things for students to choose from so they can, again, uh, have that experience. And I should also say, given the audience here, the Calgary Board of Education has been a fantastic partner. They've got amazing programs. They're called Unique Pathways for those who are going into high school teaching. You may want to look into that. And Calgary Catholic has some incredible people that are running some amazing programs as well. And they were always very generous with us. As I began this journey, they were super inclusive and wonderful. So a lot of these pathway programs exist for students across Calgary and in some cases across Alberta. But dual credit has been great because it allows students to extend their learning. Uh, we always tell our teachers in Palliser, this is not to usurp your teaching or to steal your kids out of your classroom. This is to to allow them to explore the passions that you're instilling in them. And so when you're excited about biology and they want to take an animal sciences course and they're looking at the vet profession because it might have been something that you said or did to get them inspired in that. So dual credit is huge. And then it also, the biggest thing for dual credit is you can take a course online, you can take a course at SAIT or at Lethbridge College or Olds. We have eight different post-secondary partners. It allows students to explore their passions, but it also allows them to navigate the post-secondary world. And 
our students do fantastic. And in some cases, you know, the colleges say, hey, your high school students are, are way better students than our adult learners. And so they find success and they're like, I can do this. It's one of those things that instills confidence because they they can do it and they understand it. And in some cases, they're like, yes, this confirms I definitely want to be a vet or I want to be a emergency services worker. And it just as equally important and valuable is, you know what, I thought I wanted to be a vet, but no thanks. And I've learned that lesson now before I spent $10,000 discovering that uh, and, you know, a miserable post-secondary experience my first year. So dual credit is a huge opportunity for students to go through, take a course, find success, and either get inspiration or get clarity. And those two things are equally as important. The other thing we have uh, in Palliser and across Southern Alberta, we have six different school division partners. We've started a collegiate in uh, and out of Lethbridge College. We have a wonderful partnership with Lethbridge College. So we have developed right now trades pathway. So Lethbridge College offers 12 different trades. And so students in their first year take all 12 trades. Like they do a sampler, if you will, of the 12 trades to get a, a good sense of it. They get college instruction. And so that helps them refine what they may be passionate about in the trades. And then we have a second course that further refines it to school of transportation, school of construction, culinary school, or school of electrician. And so again, now they go into a deeper dive into the course. And then hopefully in their third year of the program, we give them an opportunity to do either a pre-employment or a wrap program or something outside of that. So it helps them discover from the ground level, everything that's out there, then they can refine it because, you know, this one student, oh, I'm going to, I want to be a heavy duty mechanic. Great. Then go to the school of transportation, take some heavy duty, take some other things. And then I'm going to go into my pre-employment with heavy duty. And so we can get these kids on a path that again, gives them purpose, gives them focus and allows them a quicker way to navigate the system, to be an apprentice right away and making money, going to school, getting an education and doing something they love, which is the most important piece. So uh, we're developing something like that around agriculture and around healthcare as well. Uh, so again, that we can lead kids through and help them make some decisions. I mentioned equity earlier. So we have a culinary program with SAIT, our partners at SAIT who are fantastic. And what they do is they, they send their instructors out to our rural schools, again, around that equity piece. So we have four rural schools that take part. The instructor goes to one school and the other three schools beam in and the instructor teaches from that school and the other three schools follow along and then they rotate through. So they get an, a live instructor once a month. That has been a hugely successful program. And what it's done is it's drawn in at-risk populations like our low German Mennonite population. And we do now see an uptick in students enrolling in high school, which is fantastic because they're excited about some of the dual credit programs and that culinary piece. And now we have an avenue for them to go to Lethbridge College to continue that culinary piece. So it's just, it's a nice way of bringing the college message out to the school as opposed to fretting about how we're going to get students to the actual college itself. And then we also have things like school farms where we have greenhouses and aquaponics and hydroponics systems. And uh, now we have chickens. We're looking at creating a program and the students are excited about creating a program that's farm to table. That basically we're going to grow our own produce. We're going to have our own eggs and our own chickens and, and we're going to grow lots of things and fish as well because we have aquaponics. And then feed themselves, learning about food security, learning about sustainable agricultural practices, those types of things. 
And the last thing I'll just quickly point out, because I know there's a lot here and, and I'm excited about it, obviously, but we have Fire and Emergency Services Academy, where it's a two-year program. Students become medical first responders. They get certificated through NATE to become medical first responders and lifesavers in year one. And in year two, they do the NFPA, the National Fire Protection Agency course, and they get all kinds of different certifications, HAZMAT, ITLS, which is uh, International Trauma Life Support. Uh, they get all these sorts of things by the time they graduate high school. And so we have students that are graduating and they're super excited about, they are now uh, firefighters, they're now medical first responders, and it just gives them a leg up. Not all of them, of course, go into emergency services, but uh, some of them do. And then some of them just have that knowledge and that confidence as they move forward uh, that they contribute in, in a meaningful way and, and choose a program appropriately for them that's going to fuel that passion. So those are just a few of the examples that we have going on in Palliser. And I know Calgary Board has lots of great things. Calgary Catholic, there's lots of great unique pathways out there for students, but these things do exist. And so knowledge of that as an insert or a pre-service teacher or as a teacher, when you go into the classroom is important because you can, if you can see a spark or a passion in somebody, you can direct them the right way. Jason, I don't blame you for being excited because those are some really exciting programs and really exciting opportunities. And you, you mentioned earlier, like intentionality. And I, I think that's so apparent, like the intentional opportunities for learning about those different pathways for students and and not making them choose one before they, they've even experienced all of them. I think uh, to your point, like even if you get a certificate to be a medical first responder and you're, you have a different pathway along the way, that does not go to waste. That does not mean that it was all for naught. I think providing those many opportunities to build those life skills is so important. And, um, you know, Everactive Schools, we do a lot of our work in that youth employability space. And, you know, sometimes the challenges for youth are like they don't have a number of the skills that come from having the first job. And some employers feel like, you know, it's so challenging when we're hiring these youth and it's their first job and we're, we have all of these expectations of them, but those expectations are not always clear and not always apparent. So I think it's so powerful, like as you're describing all of these programs, that you're giving these opportunities and still the teacher, the instructors, the school space is guiding and supporting and offering feedback and, and teaching through those experiences. So students aren't alone in that navigation. They have um, those touch points built along the way. I think that's like win, win, win for, for everyone to be able to um, have that coaching and those resources of the school as students are starting to think about those pathways beyond school. I think that's, that's super fantastic. Yeah. And if I can, if I can just jump in on that too. So again, teachers, you have the ability, I mean, this is such a purposeful career in terms of being able to speak into students' lives. And I have to tell you that navigation piece and that connection piece and that intentionality piece that you just mentioned, Jamie, is so extremely important because these programs literally change students' lives. When you don't know what you're connected to, when you haven't found success in the classroom, when school's a chore, that really starts to occupy your space and it certainly impacts your wellness. And when kids get caught onto some of these programs and find their passion, whether that be as an emergency services responder or whether that be as a welder or a plumber, we've heard directly from students, I'm not making this up, this has given me purpose and has changed my life in such a meaningful way. We've had all kinds of teary sort of uh, testimonials and uh, emotional moments where students saying I was on a bad path, didn't know where I was going, and having something like this in front of me has put me on a on a much better path and in a much better place mentally. And so that's why I'm such a firm believer in this occupational space in terms of the dimensions of wellness, because it really does have a massive impact on students who just don't do school 
well. And as you mentioned earlier, school hasn't changed a whole lot in the last hundred years, but the world has. And so uh, being able to have some flexibility and to be able to explore is vitally important for a lot of students. That's so important. So fantastic. And that, I think, is a reminder that we're, we're not just investing in students in our, in our day to day as part of like our job as teachers, which sometimes we get fixated on. Sometimes we get lost on the tasks and lose the people side of things. That's a really great reminder, Jason. I appreciate that. And now you spoke to many of the partnerships and organizations that are present in the Palliser School Division's programming that support this work and that you've intentionally developed. I'm curious if you could share, so you've gone through that journey of seeking out these partnerships, seeking out these organizations and these opportunities for your students. I'm curious if if you could share maybe some of the other partnerships, organizations and resources that are available to schools and teachers to build these pathways and also translating those passion opportunities into career pathways. And I appreciate, too, your lens on that urban and rural divide, because those opportunities are, are certainly, you know, ever present in large urban jurisdictions, but that looks very different in other localities. So if you could speak to some of those partnerships or organizations or resources that you've built and where our listeners can look to build those partnerships. Yeah, so teenmentalhealth.org has been an amazing partner and their program is called Know Before You Go. And Andrew Baxter, who heads up the teenmentalhealth.org and mental health literacy initiative, was gracious to allow us to take some of that. And it was it was a massive document. So we whittled it down to create a course for students. That's fantastic. So please uh, check that out, teenmentalhealth.org. Enriched Academy uh, has been an amazing partner and that's back to that financial literacy piece, but they've made it extremely easy for students to access financial literacy. They've chunked it out in videos, which has been incredible. When you have a program that uh, students from, well, it's, it's backed all the way up to grade three now, grade three to 12, but in particular high school students, when they take an online program and their satisfaction rate is close to 90%, you know it's good because they'll tell you the truth, especially when it's anonymous and they hate almost everything. So uh, they love an enriched academy. And that's also something like we've seen almost a 200% increase in students' financial knowledge through that course. And so that's a great resource. In Southern Alberta, we have an organization called Career Transitions, which uh, helps students with career exploration. They have something called EPIC, which is Exploring Potential uh, Careers. And they bring in all kinds of employers from all over Southern Alberta so students can can see what's out there, can talk to employers, can look at the different jobs that are available. And they help us as school divisions help students make connections between potential careers and those types of things. We also have Careers Next Generation, which uh, focuses largely on work integrated learning. So giving students an opportunity to learn on the job and mostly around trades, but they have some technology, they have some vet work as well, but uh, they're a great organization that, that helps out. Just the structure of career counselors within your buildings, just understanding where those uh, career counselors are, what their modus operandi is, and just uh, connecting students with them. You know, you don't have to have all the knowledge yourself. I know it's a lot, especially as you're starting your career, to try and navigate all that world. So just finding out where the system lies, uh, because I think having a an awesome off-campus teacher or guidance counselor or career counselor in your building is an amazing resource to send kids to. Just say, hey, I, I've heard you talk a lot about this. Why don't you go talk to Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so and explore that a bit more? Just give that kids that encouragement, that nudge. You could be the bridge to getting students to have the courage to have that conversation. There's things like junior achievement out there. 
our post-secondary partners are incredible. So Olds College is a leader. SAIT is a leader. Lethbridge College is a leader. Bow Valley College is getting back into dual credit and those types of programs. Um, and it's not all just dual credit. You don't have to sign your kids up for dual credit. There's wonderful opportunities to explore, you know, student for a day, exploratories. Uh, we have something in the division called Experiential Learning Week, which students can explore and parents or community members come in and they'll go to the local news station and, and do a news broadcast or they'll learn jujitsu or they'll explore emergency services. Our, our fire academy came out of an experiential learning week and it was driven by students because they said that was so much fun and that was so engaging. Can we please do more of this? And so we created a full on fire academy for students. And so there's lots of opportunities. I just ask that as teachers, um, again, you don't have to do everything. So don't feel that because that's a recipe for burnout, but just understanding where those conduits are will be extremely helpful being able to help students. Thanks, Jason. Those are really great suggestions. And I think, as you mentioned a bit earlier in our conversation too, like our virtual connection opportunities have certainly increased over time. So the ability to, you know, if you don't have post-secondary institution in your town, your jurisdiction reach, there are opportunities to build those relationships and for students to access learning online. So a really great reminder. And also a great reminder, like I think you mentioned a few different times, you know, how connections start with parents or, you know, folks in the community, the importance of relationship building as educators with the families of our students and those parents and, you know, taking time and prioritizing kind of bringing them in to the conversation as well is super supportive. Uh, We have so many great ally opportunities as educators aligning ourselves with different organizations in the community, different relationships, whether parents or volunteers or local organizations, businesses, that type of thing. I think that brings us to kind of our last question, because you've provided us with so much in this conversation in terms of ideas and examples, and even like changing our paradigm or shifting our paradigms a little bit in terms of how we view uh, occupational well-being and center joy and passion in the conversations about student transitions and student pathways. I'm wondering if you can leave our listeners, you know, with maybe an idea of one thing they could do tomorrow, Monday morning, to prioritize and and be intentional about supporting students in finding things that bring them joy and kind of ignite their passions. Yeah, great question, Jamie. We have shifted our paradigm as well in the off-campus realm. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to stop asking the question, what are you going to do after high school? What program are you going into? Those types of things. We have heard from students a great deal about, you have no idea how stressful that question is. All that does is create more expectations and creates more pressure for us as students because we feel we have to have it figured out. I don't know about you, Jamie. I'm almost 50 here and I don't know if I figured it out. And so to expect a student at the age of 15, 16, 17 to articulate their life path or talk about what they want to do and what they love. It's very difficult. So we've changed our question. I encourage teachers to change the question. It's more encouraging in the sense of what do you love to do? Let me help you find what you love to do. And then I guarantee you we can find something, uh, a post-secondary program or a vocational pathway that will help you use that love. And again, you never work a day in your life if you love what you do, right? So it's that idea that we're changing the question. What are you passionate about? What do you love to do? What are you curious about? Because I think students don't necessarily know, they can't necessarily articulate it, but if we can just 
tap into that curiosity and spend the time to actually care enough about, you know, their curiosities and maybe slide them an article or, hey, I, I saw this awesome thing on the weekend and you should look at it. Or, hey, I think I know the guidance counselor can really help you with that. Those types of connections are extremely important and it shows you obviously care. And I know hopefully <laughs> people are becoming teachers because they care about making an impression on students' lives. And I think that is one that's foundational is what do you love? How can I connect that love with something that could be a career? And again, I just want to reiterate this. That nonlinear piece, take some time, take a breath. It doesn't have to happen by the time you're 22 or 21 or 20. Take some time, take some space, and enjoy a whole bunch of different things. Explore so that you can make an informed choice about what you could potentially do in the future. I really love that change in question, Jason. I think that's so powerful. And I echo your point. Like I, you know, I think what what do you want to do when you grow up is still a question I don't have an answer to, even though in theory I've grown up in some ways. So so changing that question is also a conversation starter and not a conversation killer. Cause I think the point you make about pressure and stress as something that is restrictive in students' learning journeys. So I think everyone will have an answer about things that bring them joy, even if that answer changes throughout their lifespan. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much, Jason Coopery, for coming on the podcast and sharing your wealth of knowledge and experience in this space. And we look forward to staying tuned to all of the exciting work that you're doing in Palliser with supporting students and igniting their passion and finding those things that bring them joy and fill a need in the world. Thanks, Jimmy, for allowing me to come on and speak about this. And just want to send a word of encouragement to pre-service teachers that will be listening to this. You've made an amazing choice, and I just want to encourage you and wish you all the best in your new career path. Awesome. Thanks, Jason. And thanks again for joining us for another conversation on school health, a series collaboration between the Workland School of Education and Everactive Schools. Special thanks to Matthew Wood for composing and performing the theme music. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at EverActiveAB, on Facebook at Everactive Schools, or you can visit our website at everactive.org for more great content and resources. Until next time, the podcast is dismissed. Dismissed.